Kansas will be the first state to vote on abortion rights. This follows the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. Three years ago, the Kansas Supreme Court ruled 6-1 to that the state's constitution guarantees the right to an abortion. That prompted anti-abortion rights groups to campaign to change the state constitution, and now they have a chance. Kansans will vote on a proposed amendment revoking abortion rights protections next month during the primary election on August 2nd. It's one of five states with ballot measures on abortion rights this election cycle. As part of our Remaking America project, we bring you this conversation from Kansas. Over the next two years, we're collaborating with public radio stations across the country, including KMUW in Wichita, to ask how our democracy's working and how it isn't. After the break, we dive into where abortion rights stand in state constitutions. I'm Jen White. You're listening to the 1A Podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. Remember to have your questions answered on future conversations, or just to let us know what you think, tweet us at 1A. This message comes from NPR sponsor, BetterHelp. How we care for our minds affects how we experience life. So it's important to invest time and care into keeping them healthy. BetterHelp is online therapy that offers video, phone, and live chat therapy sessions. And you can be matched with your therapist in under 48 hours. NPR listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash 1A. Let's get into the conversation. Joining us right here in Wichita is Neil Allen. He's a professor of political science at Wichita State University. Neil, it's great to have you. Thank you for having me. And with us from the West Coast is Mary Ziegler. She's a law professor at the University of California, Davis. She's also the author of five books about the history of abortion in the U.S., including Dollars for Life, the Anti-Abortion Movement, and the Fall of the Republican Establishment. Mary, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me. So, Neil, the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe didn't bring about this fight over abortion rights in Kansas, but it certainly raised the stakes. It started in 2019 with a decision by the Kansas Supreme Court. What was that case? The 2019 decision established a right to an abortion from the state constitution, and it found in our constitution here in Kansas a right to an abortion that came from a more general right to bodily autonomy. That decision wasn't that important in terms of policy at the time because Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood v. Casey and other U.S. Supreme Court precedents were still in effect. But now that the Dobbs U.S. Supreme Court decision has reversed Roe v. Wade, now the Kansas state constitution is the most important law for Kansans in terms of the right to an abortion if they are supportive of such. And so there was a campaign that's been going on since 2019 by Republicans and social conservatives in Kansas to find a way to reverse that Supreme Court decision from Kansas. Mm -hmm. And the way they've done that is to put a constitutional amendment on the ballot that will occur on uh, with the vote on August the 2nd. And it's called the Value Them Both Amendment. And we can talk if you want to about what that rhetoric seems to be doing. Let's get to that in a moment. But I'm curious, that 2019 decision by the Kansas Supreme Court, did it change any existing laws regulating abortions in Kansas at that time? It did not make direct changes to any regulations, but it made clear that the state Supreme Court would strike down regulations in the future. 
Now, if approved, these two sentences would be added to the state constitution, quote, because Kansans value both women and children, the constitution of the state of Kansas does not require government funding of abortion and does not create or secure a right to abortion. To the extent permitted by the constitution of the United States, the people through their elected state representatives and state senators may pass laws regarding abortion, including but not limited to laws that account for circumstances of pregnancy resulting from rape or incest or circumstances of necessity to save the life of the mother. So I want to be really clear for voters in Kansas. Mary, what does a yes vote mean? Well, a yes vote means that the door is open essentially to Republicans in Kansas to consider criminalizing abortion and while um, I don't think we have precise details on what, what Republicans will do, I think everybody reasonably expects that Kansas would join other conservative states in criminalizing all or most abortions. And that, of course, would have significant effects not only for people in Kansas, but for, for neighboring states as well, because, of course, in a post-Row America, we're looking often at people traveling from state to state to access abortion. Um, and Kansas has become, I think, or been until, unless or until this this changes, a regional outlier, right? A place that people could travel to from states like Texas or Oklahoma or elsewhere in the Midwest, where the consensus has generally been that abortion is illegal and unavailable. And so, Neil, just to be again very clear for voters, a no vote on this ballot measure means what exactly? A no vote on the ballot measure means to keep in place the state Supreme Court's ability to make decisions protecting abortion rights. The yes vote would make clear that the state Supreme Court and future state Supreme Courts would not have the ability to find abortion rights in the state constitution. But the amendment also has some language in it that speaks to completely impossible futures. In Kansas, our legislature is not going to vote um, for state funding for abortion. Our state Supreme Court and future Supreme Courts are not going to find a mandate to fund abortion in the state constitutions. And so there's, uh, and so that is frankly confusing, I think, to voters because they might be thinking that they're voting on a referendum about funding for abortion or even about protecting the life, health of the mother and uh, protecting the right of those victims of rape or incest to access abortion. That language in the amendment is also confusing because we're not voting here in Kansas on those restrictions being law. We're just voting on giving the legislature the ability to do, as Mary said, uh, a ban on abortion they so choose. And and you say the state and legislature and the Supreme Court um, would not vote to fund, vote or make a decision to fund um, abortions with state dollars. And and you can say that absolutely because? Well, it is a, a prediction in an uncertain world. But if the United States Congress, which has been controlled by Democrats several times in the last 40 years, has never voted to mandate funding of abortion by states, in Kansas being more Republican and more conservative than the nation. We're not going to do that. And also, if the legislature ever wanted to do that in some crazy liberal fever dream, then the voters of Kansas could just vote everybody out. But this amendment 
forecloses lots of possibilities for democratic engagement in the future. The organizers behind the amendment, again called Value Them Both, argue that, again, passing it just allows the state legislature to regulate abortion access. Here's Republican State Representative Susan Humphreys at an amendment campaign event on Tuesday. Value Them Both is a reasonable approach. It took us uh, two years to get two-thirds of the Kansas legislature to pass it, to put it on the ballot, August 2nd of 2022. That's what we were working towards. And my encouragement to you, to everyone, is to read the language of the amendment. Uh, We crafted that language carefully. And the truth is, what the amendment does, it takes the decision of abortion regulations to the people of Kansas through their elected representatives. The elected representatives listen to the people. I have constituents in the 99th district. I listen to what they say. That's what's important, and so do my colleagues, my 124 other colleagues in the House. That was Amendment supporter Republican State Representative Susan Humphreys speaking on Tuesday. We invited a representative from Value Them Both to speak with us about the amendment, but they didn't make anyone available. Neil, how typical is it for a state like Kansas to decide such a big issue with a ballot measure? In Kansas, it's extremely rare. Our constitutional amendment process is much more difficult than a lot of other states. There's a lot of states, particularly in the West, but all over the country, that have the ability of voters to put things on the ballot that then the broader electorate gets to vote to either uh, create some kind of, of state law through legislation or to amend the state constitution, which is the usual process. In California, for example, they get to vote every election cycle on several of these. In Kansas, the state legislature has to have a two-thirds majority in both houses of the legislature to put something on the ballot. In the last decade, we have only had two of these before the Value Them Both Amendment. And one was a minor change in election administration, and another one was the right to hunt and fish which passed overwhelmingly. But those are on the general election ballot. Value Them Both is on the primary ballot on August 2nd. That is a low turnout election when compared to the general election. It skews partisan in terms of its turnout, so there's more people that are members of political parties, which in Kansas that means there's an advantage to the Republicans because we have many more Republicans than Democrats. And also that Kansans are not accustomed to voting on issues on the primary ballot um, really at all. And so this is a different kind of situation for us here. Mary, briefly, what other states have amendments similar to what Kansas is proposing? Well, Kansas is fairly unique right now in the sense that it's one of the first uh, one of the first states, as you mentioned, to put abortion on the ballot. It's also unique in the sense that it's uh, it's Republicans who are trying to get a kind of direct democracy measure to voters. We're seeing uh, almost sort of mirror reverse images of um, uh, this process in, in Michigan, for example, where there is a criminal prohibition on abortion that was in place before Roe v. Wade that's set to go back into effect. Uh, in Michigan, folks are trying to u- to amend that state's constitution uh, to, to stop that from happening. So we're seeing this kind of strategy unfold across the country, um, but Kansas is fairly unique at the moment in um, having a, a state constitutional amendment designed to allow states to ban abortion. Well, the only other parallel, I would say, is in Florida, and that's not something that's going through voters. That's something that's going through the state Supreme Court. Protests against the proposed amendment cropped up across Kansas from 40 people in the small town of Hayes. On August 2, we vote no. Hey, hey! Ho, 
to a thousand-person march through the streets of Wichita. That march in Wichita began by the city's waterfront before winding through downtown streets. Wichita State University senior Regia Nazir wasn't at that protest, but she's coordinating the Vote Nay campaign. That's N-E-I-G-H, like the sound a horse makes, for the Kansas Youth Power Coalition. She said the Western-themed campaign is aimed at increasing voter turnout, especially among her generation. 1A Remaking America editor Amanda Williams spoke with Regia by the Arkansas River on Tuesday. If this were to pass, I believe that legislators would waste no time in enacting a ban, as several states have done before. Once they are given the opportunity to make an outright ban, they will. Um, Kansans don't normally vote in August. The first thing that they think of is a November election. Um, And beyond that, voters are pushed back even further because of recent efforts of gerrymandering in our state. So each step is one step closer to pushing back Kansans from voting and making it even harder than it was before. They knew that Kansans don't vote that early, and they knew that many Kansans now don't have that access to vote early. So they knew that when the majority of Kansans, those of which who also oppose abortion bans and um, legislation that leads to abortion bans, such as the Value Them Both Amendment, um, they know that the majority of Kansans would oppose that, and they're using that to their advantage. And what are you hearing from people your age here in Wichita? As someone who has always been involved in politics and has had friends who were the opposite. Um, I've definitely made it a goal to kind of push that towards them. And and from what I hear from people who don't normally participate is that they're, they're registering and they're voting for the first time and this is their first election, um, which is super exciting. And it shows that this is such an important issue. Um, Normally, they wouldn't have voted before, but it's such an important issue that they're making sure that they register, they order their ballots, plan their early vote, or plan their election day vote. Um, I want to emphasize how important this election is. It's probably one of the most important that we've had thus far. Um, We're not voting specifically on one person. Um, That's not where the focus really is. This is something that will affect us directly. And I definitely want young people to understand that we are among the generations, the lowest turnout in all of our elections. And this is an amendment that will directly affect us and communities who look like us, don't look like us. And so I think if you truly want your voice to be heard, it's going to be in this election. I believe that if you truly don't have an interest in elections otherwise, um, this will be the one that you absolutely need to vote in. That was Wichita State University senior Regia Nazir speaking with 1A's Amanda Williams on Tuesday. And still with us are Neil Allen, a professor of political science at Wichita State University and UC Davis law professor Mary Ziegler. Neil, we talked a little bit about primary turnout earlier, but give us just a, a comparison between what that turnout looks like on a primary election day as compared to a general election day in Kansas. Well, the turnout on the pri- in the primary will be significantly lower than in the general election. Now, that shifted a little bit in 2018, where the primary turnout got really close to previous general election turnouts. But that was because we had some unique circumstances and we had contested governor elections for both major parties. But this year we don't. 
This year, Governor Laura Kelly, who's a Democrat and a strong supporter of abortion rights, is going to win renomination. The the heavy favorite to oppose her is Derek Schmidt, our attorney general, who's a Republican and a strong opponent of abortion rights. So there's not a lot for voters in this uh, time in July for early voting and then for aug- on the August 2nd ballot to vote. There's nothing really for them to vote on except this particular important uh, amendment. So is there any sense of how this is galvanizing voters on e- either side of this issue? Well, I mean, this has been building for a long time, and, and the the anti-abortion rights side has been especially well-organized. It's been a well-organized part of Kansas politics for decades. And, you know, this is not necessarily representative of voters and their views, but there are massive amounts of yard signs everywhere. Um, there's signs on at businesses, there's signs at churches, there's people in there, uh, people with shirts, and um, lots of massive engagement. But uh, but this but this turnout in this particular election, um, unless something radically changes from what we've seen before, will skew um, older. It'll skew more to those who d- identify as white, and that helps significantly those that want the amendment to pass. And frankly, that was a deliberate decision because if they were willing to put the ballot on a general – put the vote on a general election ballot, it could have been on the 2020 ballot. But they had – they couldn't get it to, for that because they didn't have their two-thirds majority in the state house. But then they did after the 2020 elections. Wait, so, so walk me through that again. How did this end up being on the primary ballot? Because the amendment that passed through the state legislature specifically – included language that it would be on the primary ballot. It didn't say the next election. It said the, the, the August 2nd primary. And there was an attempt to do this for the 2020 cycle. But at that point, the uh, small number of moderate Republicans were blocking that, although they now are no longer in the legislature. And so this particular uh, placement of this vote is one that makes it very difficult for those that want to oppose it. We heard from Rija her concern that if this ballot measure passes, the state legislature will move to ban abortion. And we should note Republicans have a supermajority in the Kansas House and Senate. From uh, from someone who's living here in Kansas, Neil, what regulations do you expect to see if this amendment passes? Well, some of it depends on whether the Democrats continue to hold the governorship. And right now, Governor Kelly is an underdog against uh, her opponent, Attorney General Schmidt. Uh, There are some indications that Governor Kelly is not as big as an underdog as it seemed in the past. Uh, The polling for her hasn't been as bad as I think, frankly, I would expect in a Republican state in a bad year for Democrats. But if she is in the governorship still or there's another Democrat in the future, then you would need two-thirds in both houses of the legislature to pass something. That's a, that would make it somewhat difficult to pass a full ban. But I think we should be a little careful about predicting that, I, that value them both passing will directly lead to a ban on abortion that's very strict like we've seen in Oklahoma or other states because Kansas actually isn't the most Republican state in the country. Um, President Trump was below 60 percent in the last election. Uh, and so whenever a legislators have to get on record about who to punish for an abortion, how much to punish them, and what exceptions are going to be, then they'll, they'll have some difficult votes. But if you want to 
to allow a ban for abortion on abortion in Kansas, then clearly a yes vote is the one you need to make. Now, we alluded to this earlier, but voters in some states, such as Vermont, are deciding on whether to add a constitutional amendment that protects the right to an abortion. Mary, how many states have this kind of amendment? So there, at the moment, um, there are only, I think, four or so states that explicitly uh, reject the idea that there is a state constitutional right um, to abortion. There are state eight states that have state Supreme Court uh, decisions recognizing uh, a right to abortion. Um, and there are, I think, 16 states in total that have some other kind of protection, whether by statute or um, by uh, or by state constitutional provision. We're seeing a lot of movement now um, in states that already have some kind of protection for abortion uh, to, to make that constitutional protection. So in states like Vermont and California. And then we're also seeing some kind of higher stakes struggles in states where abortion access is going to be contested in the short term, places like Michigan and Florida, um, where we're seeing really on both sides of the coin, we're seeing challenges uh, to existing bans that might codify or recognize state constitutional protection for abortion. We're seeing efforts to undo existing state constitutional rights to abortion. So re really kind of any end of the spectrum you can imagine is uh, up for grabs right now. So when we look at a state like Vermont, where Democrats have controlled the state legislature since 2005, and is unlikely to restrict abortion access, why would they still propose this type of amendment protecting abortion access in the state constitution? Well, I think from the standpoint of states like Vermont um, or California, state constitutional amendments are almost serving kind of as an insurance policy. I think there's real anxiety among um, supporters of abortion rights in these states that future legislators may not be as supportive of abortion rights um, as voters would be now. And there's a view that if these are, in fact, you know, fundamental rights, that it's it's wrong to leave that to the future of the political process, that state constitutional law should make clear that those rights are protected and not leave that to a kind of uncertain political future. I think it's, you know, it's it's fair to, to say that that constitutional future or political future is kind of hard to imagine for most of us. I don't know um, how likely it is that either California or Vermont would ever ban abortion at the state level or even restrict it. Um, but I think we've seen this kind of trend in in a variety of progressive states where people are saying we don't want to leave anything to chance. We're discussing where abortion rights stand in state constitutions. We'll be back with more after the break. Remember to join future conversations, download the 1A Vox Pop app and leave us a message. Now let's get back to our conversation about state constitutional amendments to protect or negate abortion rights. Mary, now that Roe is overturned, some pro-abortion rights groups are bringing cases before the state Supreme Courts in an effort to solidify protections under state constitutions. Why might abortion rights be more easily protected under a state's constitution rather than the federal one? Well, so some state constitutions actually have rights to privacy in the the text of the Constitution, right? So you may recall that when the Supreme Court overruled Roe, um, one of the things that uh, the court mentioned was that there there is no right to abortion in the text of the Constitution. There's not even a right to privacy. That isn't true of some state constitutions that actually spell out that there's a right to privacy. Some state constitutions um, also have language, much more recent language, 
dealing with um, sex equality that could be read uh, to interpret to include or encompass a right to abortion. Um, and so I think that that makes it easier for some for pro-abortion rights groups essentially to say this is, you know, we're not stretching here. The idea of this state constitution was to have more robust ideas of privacy than are in the federal constitution. And that includes uh, privacy when it comes to reproductive decisions. And and again, we've, we've heard a lot about right to privacy around this issue of abortion. How have those two been connected? Well, so one important thing to, to stress here is that privacy, usually in the context of abortion, is not um, something that we are thinking about in isolation. It's often privacy and equality, these things kind of working in tandem. Another important thing to remember is we, we are often are not meaning privacy in terms of secrecy. We're meaning privacy in terms of self-determination um, or autonomy. Uh, and so some state constitutions don't really spell out exactly what they mean by privacy, um, but they do have privacy language. Um, some, like Florida, for example, uh, has language um, that people have, quote, the right to be let alone and free from governmental intrusion into a person's private life, which seems pretty sweeping. So that makes it that obviously in many state constitutions, there there, there is no explicit abortion guarantee, which is what we're, I think California and Vermont are trying to change. But this privacy language does come closer to a guarantee of self-determination or autonomy, which makes the argument for an abortion right in state constitutions maybe a little bit easier than it would have been under a federal constitution. Mary, in many states, judges are elected by voters. In your research, what have you found about the importance of judicial appointments and elections when it comes to policies about abortion? Well, I think if obviously it's very hard to generalize when we're talking about states because each state is very different. But I think there's been kind of a lack of focus on state constitutional um, decision making and state judges, in part because, you know, Roe v. Wade was the floor, right? Regardless of what state Supreme Courts wanted to do or what legislators wanted to do, um, the federal constitution was acting as a floor. And I think often that made some judicial retention elections kind of ho-hum affairs that it, some voters, at least in, in some states, their overwhelming percentages often of, of yes votes to retain judges. Even when judges are doing things that are divisive, I don't think voters are always aware of it. There are exceptions to that when um, sometimes outside money is spent to, to rile up voters or attract attention to the votes of specific justices. But I think to the extent abortion is, is going to remain a major cultural divide, which obviously we expected to, um, not just in the years to come, but in the decades to come, state Supreme Court um, retention votes are going to be much higher stakes, especially, I think, in states like Kansas, um, where we don't know where, you know, there there may be a disconnect between what voters want and what legislators would actually do, um, which seems to be true, I think, in, in to some extent in states like Oklahoma, too. There's a difference, I think, between voters being Republican and voters um, wanting uh, an outright ban on abortion. But if voters have to choose right between their partisan affiliation um, and their views on abortion, they often choose their partisan affiliation unless there's some way to disaggregate those preferences, either through going directly to voters in the way um, we see happening in some states or potentially um, in the way voters approach votes on, on Supreme, state Supreme Court justices. 
We got this email from Stephen who says, there's a reason why the more progressive states have referendum voting by the people themselves rather than representatives who often vote in skewed fashion for reasons that are disconnected from the will of the electorate. It's a pure form of democracy. Mary, what do you think about Stephen's comment? Well, I think that what we've been saying today is that I think direct democracy can be really powerful on issues like abortion. We've seen that um, in other countries like Ireland. We've also seen that how one does direct democracy is really important too, right? So um, how these ballot initiatives are written when they're presented to voters, all of that can skew things in ways that, that make what is presented as the will of the people, not really the will of the people. Having said that, I think that there's pretty good evidence from polling in a variety of states that policy on abortion in term, um, is, is not what voters would pick if they were asked to just decide on the abortion issue by itself. I think you could make similar arguments with guns. And that means, I think, both in the sense that you get probably more progressive steps on some things like abortion, but also that you get some stuff in the middle that may not appeal to either Democrats or Republicans, but that voters may like better. I think the trick is always going to be how to make sure that if voters are the ones deciding that what we're getting from that process is an accurate reflection of what voters want. So ideally, you would want to be doing this during a general election when turnout would be expected to be higher. You'd want to do more to make sure that the language voters were considering was clear and not confusing. But I think there's still some promise um, in direct democracy that has left to be, uh, you know, really fully explored. Neil, your thoughts? On this matter about um, direct democracy, I think Nevada actually has a pretty interesting system where they require a a referendum to pass twice. Mm. Because, um, you know, there's a, a classic quote from now Speaker Pelosi and the U.S. House representatives that you need to actually vote on a bill to know what's in it. Hmm. And that is, that is something that is reasonable to say about legislative bargaining on high um, profile and high conflict issues. But in a lot of ways, voters don't really get tuned into what the a referendum is going to do, partic- and particularly whether the supporters or opponents of it are being honest until it actually passes. So we see in the United Kingdom right now, a lot of voters are are wishing they had not voted for Brexit because they thought they were voting to 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 get more money to fund health care there. And so, the if we could vote, if we had to pass it twice, then you could discern whether or not you thought this was a good idea or not. And also, especially, you might really realize, oh, well, I thought I was voting to value both women and and children, but I didn't realize that that value in both language really only makes sense if you value women by protecting them from the evil of abortion. And that it's a reasonable thing to think that women are harmed by abortion, both the women that do not perform it and and women that do. But that is a hard kind of conversation to have in a week. That was Neil Allen. He's a professor of political science at Wichita State University. Also with us was Mary Ziegler. She's a law professor at the University of California, Davis. She's also the author of five books about the history of abortion in the U.S., including Dollars for Life, the Anti-Abortion Movement and the Fall of the Republican Establishment. Thanks to you both. 
This conversation came to you from KMUW Public Radio in Wichita, Kansas. KMUW is part of our Remaking America project, where we're exploring the ways our democracy works and the ways it doesn't. Remaking America is funded in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Today's producer was Amanda Williams. You also heard sound from KMUW reporters Kylie Cameron and David Condos. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening. This is 1A.